Thanks for tuning in to another episode of War and PTSD. As I told you in the last episode, this episode is about the actual firefight I was in in Vietnam, where I finally got my chance to engage the enemy. Once my turn came to go out on a night patrol with the South Vietnamese soldiers, and I realized that I was really going out on a combat mission to engage the enemy, I was super excited. Then when I thought about it, and I realized that it really was a combat mission. I was super scared. <clears throat> I was actually going out on a night patrol with real army men. I say real army men because as a child, I grew up playing cowboys and Indians with all my neighborhood friends. Around eight years old, I started playing with plastic army men. My friends and I created lifelike battle scenarios like the ones you see on TV and movies with our army men, tanks, and uh, all the other army stuff. Around the age of 12, I decided to start my own army club with a couple of my neighborhood friends. To help us look like soldiers, we went to the local army surplus store and bought helmets, army belts, combat boots, and any other army paraphernalia that would make us look like real army men in our backyard battles. We even cut guns out of wood that we picked up out of a dumpster from a lumber mill close to our house. Then one day we got really brave and decided to go to a military recruiter's office in the downtown area. I don't remember what we thought we were going to accomplish by doing that, but it sounded like fun. So the first place we went was to the army recruiter's office. He wouldn't even talk to us. So we went next door to the Marine recruiter's office. He seemed excited to see us. He asked us to come into his office and he talked to us for a while. He was so impressed with our desire to join the Marines, which is what we told him we were going to do, that he gave us a couple of his old Marine uniforms for our club. Of course, we, were, we wore them around our backyards proudly as we shot each other with our wooden guns. Those were the fantasies about war that I had as a child and a teenager. Now I was in Vietnam. It wasn't a fantasy any longer. I was about to go into a real battle against a real enemy with real guns and bullets. I really did not have a clue as to what a real battle looked like. But now that it was my turn to go into battle with the South Vietnamese soldiers, I was going to have a great time finally seeing my dreams of childhood come true. I was going out on a night patrol with a unit of South Vietnamese Army to fight the enemy. The full unit that I was going out with on this night patrol consisted of 30 speedboats, each with, 30, uh, with uh, 50 caliber machine guns mounted on the bow, and the boats were manned by 50 South Vietnamese soldiers with me and another sailor from my KSB unit going with them. All of the boats in our unit left the canal early in the evening. The unit was divided into groups. Uh, the groups consisted of two boats with four soldiers in each boat. Each group was assigned to a spot along the canal to set up an ambush for the North Vietnamese army that would be coming across. The North Vietnamese soldiers would cross the canal in some points, differing points every night into South Vietnam from Cambodia, and then they would go up into the uh, mountains where their bases were. The South Vietnamese soldiers would be spread along the canal. 
Uh, and that was because the soldier, the MVA soldiers uh, always crossed a different place each night. So they had no idea where they'd be coming from. So each group of South, South Vietnamese soldiers who had set up an ambush spot on the canal had no idea if they would make contact with the enemy uh, that night or not. Of each group, two of the South Vietnamese soldiers in each group would take four-hour shifts staying awake during the night. And they'd be watching for the uh, North Vietnamese Army troops uh, that might be trying to cross the, canal, cross the canal at their locations. I was assigned to one of the groups uh, with the South, South Vietnamese soldiers. My assignment was to help with any possible or mechanical problems on the way to or from the canals for the whole group of 30 boats. The designated spot to set up an ambush, ambush for my group was next to a small village of Vietnamese families. The village consisted of 10 to 15 huts on both sides of the canal. American soldiers nicknamed the huts hooches. The hooches were made out of wood and straw. They were about 15 feet by 15 feet and consisted of one room with each hooch, each, each hooch having a bed, uh, maybe two, a chair, and something like a rug to cover the dirt floor. When my group of soldiers got to our ambush spot, we unloaded our boats and set up our camp for the night. When I say set up our camp, I mean we each picked a spot to sleep and laid out our gear and rifles next to it. By the time we got all our gear laid out, it was getting dark. One of the local, uh, one of the local Vietnamese was talking to a soldier, uh, the soldier in charge of our group, and he, the local Vietnamese, invited the, my whole group of Vietnamese soldiers and myself uh, to have dinner with him in his hooch. There were nine of us in my group. The hooch, including the front door, was so small that I had the duck to get into it. It had one room with a bed, chair, and about a five foot by five foot rug in the middle of the dirt floor. We all sat down around the rug. Our host uh, brought out several uh, bowls of food and put the bowls in the center of the rug. We were each given an empty bowl and some chopsticks. The way the meals were eaten there was that each of us would take a bowl of food from the center of the rug, dish up some food from it, put it in our bowl, and then we'd eat it. When we had all eaten our, our food from our bowl, we would uh, then dish some foods from another bowl in the center of the rug. There were several types of vegetables, fish, and meat in the bowls. Everyone around the rug served themselves until the food was all gone. I ate my food with the chopsticks that we were given. The Vietnamese were very impressed that I even knew how to use chopsticks. I learned how to use chopsticks back in Eugene, Oregon, where I grew up. My church group consisted of five of us teenagers around the same age. We would go out for dinner on Sundays to a local Chinese restaurant, and we would have a contest to see who could eat their meals using chopsticks, just using chopsticks. The first one to use a fork had to pay for someone else's meal. When our meal in the hooch was done, one of the guys brought out a bottle of Vietnamese whiskey called Basade. Then he passed out a shot glass to everyone. I couldn't believe that in that remote, remote part of the world with primitive huts that they had shot glasses. Anyway, everyone in the circle was poured a drink. Because I did not drink alcohol and had never drank alcohol, I refused my glass of Basade. Our Vietnamese host kept insisting that I let him fill my glass. I finally gave in. So there I was, sitting with a shot glass of liquor in my hand, looking around at all the Vietnamese staring at me. 
and they were waiting to see if I would drink it or not. I was the only American within 50 miles in a hostile place, and everyone in the room had a gun, so I agreed to take a drink. As I swallowed it, it burned all the way down from my throat to my stomach. I started coughing and coughing. Everyone started pointing at me and laughing. Up to that point in my life, I had not drunk a full glass of alcohol. I did take a sip of beer with some of the guys when I went to a party from high school, but I spit it out because it tasted like piss to me. So drinking the glass of whiskey in that Vietnamese hooch for the first time was a shock to my system. I thought that that excruciating episode was over once I had them, once I'd taken the drink, but it wasn't. About 15 minutes later, one of the neighboring Vietnamese guys came to the door. They started talking to him in Vietnamese. I don't know the language, so I didn't understand what they were saying. All of a sudden, someone pulled out a shot glass, filled it with whiskey, and handed, handed it to me and said, drink. Then I realized that I was the entertainment for the night. I drank it, and again, I coughed and coughed, and they, they all again laughed and laughed. So after dinner, we got up, went out to our ambush spot, and got ready for the action that we were expecting. I had my M16 rifle with me, as well as a 45 pistol with a holster and belt that I had around my waist. I also had a steel helmet and a bulletproof flak jacket. They weren't expecting to make contact with any of the enemy until the middle of the night, so I took all my gear off, laid down in my spot, put my head on my helmet, and went to sleep. It was around one o'clock in the morning that I woke up with a lot of gunshots going off around me. My instincts immediately kicked in. I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. The first thing I did was put on my bulletproof flak jacket. Then I grabbed my helmet and put it on. I also had a steel helmet that I put on top of my regular helmet to make sure the bullet didn't go into my head. Next, I picked up my 45 pistol and strapped the holster around my waist. After grabbing my N16 automatic rifle off the ground, I looked around to see what was going on. I was standing next to a small hill about 10 feet high, and on the top of the hill, two South Vietnamese soldiers were shooting at something in the canal. The beginning of the canal was about 15 feet from me, so I was standing there looking over the canal, looking up at the soldiers on the hill. But by now, I was 100% in the fight or flight mode. I was ready for action. My body was buzzing. This was my chance to fight a real war with a real enemy. As I ran through the options in my mind, I decided that I would go up on the hill where the other soldiers were and shoot at whoever or whatever they were shooting at. I took two steps towards them and my body froze. I realized for the first time since me and the guys in my unit had started talking about being in combat, that if I went up on that hill, I could be killed. When that realization hit me, my whole body was consumed with fear. I was paralyzed by the fear. What I never thought would happen was about to happen. I just stood there like a statue. I could not move a muscle. I did not want to die or get wounded or even get shot. So I froze. 
That was the moment my PTSD happened. After a few minutes of standing there immobile, I finally decided that I had to do something because I couldn't just stand there. So I decided I would just stay where I was standing. I was not going to go up on the hill, but I did take a few steps towards the canal and then I looked around for something to shoot at. After all, everybody else was shooting, so I had to shoot also. All the action was in front of me and to the right. No one seemed to be shooting to my left. I didn't know why, of course, it was dark, I couldn't see anything. But no one was shooting that area, so I decided that I would shoot over there just in case some of the enemy was in that area. After about 15 minutes, all the shooting was over and everyone calmed down. Because no one was asking me to do anything, I took off my helmet and my flak jacket. I took off my 45 pistol, laid that and my M16 on the ground and laid my head on my helmet and went back to sleep. The same thing happened again towards the morning, but by the time I had gotten all my gear on, the shooting had stopped. In the morning when the uh, sun came up and we can see what was going on, we saw two dead MBA soldiers in the canal. They were carrying, or at least there was black plastic bags next to them, and the bags were full of clothes, ammo, and medical supplies. We spread the items in their packs on the ground so we can inventory the contents. Later that morning, after we had everything organized and were packing up to go home, the South Vietnamese soldier in charge of our patrol came over to me and told me that someone in the village on the other side of the canal wanted to talk to me. I was the only American anywhere around and I was not in charge of anything. So I couldn't figure out why anyone over there wanted to talk to me. Then I realized to my shock and horror that there were about 10 hooches across the canal to the left of our ambush area. I was again struck with paralyzing fear. I realized that during the ambush, when I shot to my left, I was shooting into that village. Still not knowing why I was being called to the village, I reluctantly got into the boat, went across the canal to the village on the other side. When I got to the village, my guide took me up to a little old Vietnamese lady. She was screaming her head off, jumping up and down, and pointing to a three-foot-tall vase in front of her small hooch. The vase had a bullet hole right through the middle of it. She was yelling in Vietnamese, which again, I didn't understand. So I just stood there and looked dumb, which I was. I was hoping I wasn't the one who had shot her face. And I was really hoping that there wasn't a dead body inside that hooch. To my relief, no one was injured by my bullet. But I am sure that little old lady wanted someone to replace her vase. After a heated discussion, we left the village, packed up the dead MVA soldiers, and rode the ski boats back to the barge where we were living, about 20 miles away. Now, that was my PTS experience, the event that caused my PTSD. Now I'm going to describe the mechanics of what happened in my body during the event to cause my PTSD. When I realized I wasn't going up in the hill, to fight with the other Vietnamese soldiers, I was so scared, my brain went into the flight mode or 
the I want to get out of here mode. At that time, I was I had an overload of adrenaline surge through my body. My brain had created that adrenaline surge. It was my extreme fear that had triggered the flight section of my brain. My fear was so intense that my brain immediately sent an adrenaline rush throughout my body to let me know that my life was in immediate danger and I had better react quickly or something really bad was going to happen to me like I was going to die. It was such an intense and incredible feeling that all my senses were stimulated and totally overwhelmed. I had never experienced a feeling with such intensity before this firefight and I have not felt anything even close to it since. It may sound like I've done a lot of research on how this flight part of the brain works and how an intense adrenaline rush can affect it, but I really have done very little. And I don't think I need to because I'm the one who experienced all of it. And the memory of this event is as clear today as the day it happened. That's how intense it was in my body. Then, beginning with my therapy sessions with my Vietnam veterans counselor in 1998, I have been scrutinizing my life before and after this event for the last 50 years. Now, at this point, I can see clearly how my brain was affected by this event and how it changed my personality. Over the years, I've been thinking about the change in my personality from before and before that event and after that event. And in hindsight, I can see that I was transformed into a different person during that event. My unscientific explanation of these changes in my personality during that event is that when my brain was washed over with the sudden adrenaline rush, the negative feelings and attitudes that I had recently developed since I had been in Vietnam towards the war in Vietnam, towards my superiors, became solidified and hardwired in my brain. In effect, the old me was gone and a new, more aggressive and combative me was born. In another episode, I'm going to catalog what my personality was like before I went to Vietnam and the changes uh, were th that I made in my personality and my attitudes and habits in Vietnam in order to deal with the extreme hostility of the war. Then I will describe to you what my personality was like when I got out of the Navy and returned to civilian life. The three parts of my life before Vietnam, during Vietnam, and after Vietnam were very different. I know that because I, I, I know that <laughs> because I had a lot of people who were close to me repeatedly told me that I was a changed person and they weren't happy about it. Even though my friends said I was different though, I thought I was different in a good way, not a bad way. After all, I had improved myself. Most of all, uh, most of us who have some sort of dysfunction think our word behavior is normal. After all, it's normal to us, but that is my case. Although my behavior when I got back from Vietnam was antisocial, non-emotional, and very assertive, I thought I was an approved version of my old self. My friends did not agree. What these changes were and why they happened to me took decades for me to figure out.
When most people go through mildly traumatic experiences, their attitudes and behavior may change while they are involved in that experience. It's like a football game. The game may be brutal and painful, but the player's personality stays the same before and after the game. Just because they are aggressive and brutal during the game and make a lot of tackles or runs up the middle, after the game, they are still, they are still their lovable selves. That is what the military is supposed to be like. When we go into the military, we are supposed to be taught, uh, taught specific attitudes and skills that will make us more productive in society. And in effect, we become better human beings. In the military, we have to go along to get along while we're there. That is because military training is very different from the training we get in the average job or in a corporation, for example. Going along to get along in the military is the appropriate thing to do. And really, it's the only thing to do if you want to stay out of the brig. If your experience in the military is a positive one and it doesn't cause irreparable damage, then the military is a great place to mature and learn about life. On the other hand, if your military experience is so traumatic that it causes PTSD, then what you were like before the military is going to be very different from what you're going to be like after your military discharge. My time in the military was extremely traumatic for me, and the event that caused my PTSD was even worse. Therefore, after my military experience, I was a very different and dysfunctional person when I returned to civilian life. That is what PTSD is, a life-changing experience that changes your brain from its normal everyday function to abnormal, socially incorrect, and sometimes bizarre behaviors that inhibit normal relationships and close emotional ties. In other words, after an extreme traumatic experience, you can go from being a normal person who is living a happy life to a dysfunctional person living a miserable life. I will explain all this in detail in later episodes. I have spent decades trying to figure out how my, how my life was so dysfunctionally changed in Vietnam and how it caused me so much pain and distress, and not only for me, but for those around me. And in the Pinocchio vernacular, how I finally became a real boy. I will end this episode here. It's been fun and insightful for me. I hope it was the same for you. In the next episode, I'll tell you about my personality when I was younger, a teenager, a child and teenager, and how it subsequently changed by this traumatic experience during the firefight in Vietnam. See you then.